Right, morning everyone. If you're visiting, as John has said, uh, my name is Don. I'm an elder here at God First Church. And yeah, I'm so chuffed to be preaching to you this morning. Right, let's start with prayer. Let's pray. Father, as we sung earlier on, worship starts with seeing you. Father, I pray that in this moment we would see you clearer. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would seal the words that I would speak into our hearts, that we would live transformed lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. We are back in the book of Matthew. We started that last year, and we are kicking off a new series entitled Inside Out, How to Live Transformed Lives Through Transformed Hearts, because the heart is the center of our very existence. And I'm going to be reading from verse 22 of Matthew chapter 12. And it goes, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, that's to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of of David. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless, the fruit, unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, in, the, in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. 
Now, by the time we get to Matthew chapter 12, we begin to see a shift in the ministry of Jesus. And that shift is that he's facing now a lot of opposition. There is confrontation and there is conflict from the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the day. It would be a confrontation that would eventually lead to the death of Jesus by crucifixion on a cross. And on this particular day, they bring to him this blind and mute man. He's blind, he cannot see, he's mute, he cannot speak. And he has an encounter with Jesus, and he's healed. He can see, and he begins to speak. And suddenly there is this wild excitement amongst the crowd, and they begin to ask the question, is this the son of David? In other words, is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ, the one who has been promised? for generations, for centuries, who would be the descendant of King David, who would become the deliverer of Israel and come and establish an everlasting kingdom, sit on the throne as king and rule forever. There is reason for them to be excited because they've never seen anything like this. But the Pharisees, they come and they throw a wet blanket over this excitement. No, this can't be the Messiah. He is casting out demons by the power of Satan. And Jesus challenges them and says, guys, hang on, that doesn't even make sense. How is it that Satan is fighting against Satan? If he's fighting against himself, then there's no way that his kingdom can stand. It'll collapse. And then Jesus proceeds to warn them and say, because of what you have just said, you are never going to find forgiveness. Not now, not ever. Now, you might interject and say, well, who cares? If one is not forgiven, who needs forgiveness? Well, I would push back and say, did you just miss what Jesus said about that there is an age to come? A lot of people go through this life as if this is the only existence that there ever will be. There is life beyond the grave. There is a life beyond the mere existence of this present age. And how you experience the next age, the age to come, depends on how things pan out on Judgment Day. Whether you will be condemned of your sin or whether you will be acquitted of your sin. Now, what we see here in this healing here is a glimpse of the age to come. What's happened with the healing of this blind man is the power of God, the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God from the future age, breaking into the present age and destroying the works of Satan. Because in the age to come, Satan is defeated completely, evil is defeated completely, and you are delivered into this glorious existence that has no suffering, no sickness, no sorrow, no sin. It's called heaven. But on the flip side, if you are condemned, you are condemned into a horrendous existence. 
condemned to hell without God. Now, this is what Jesus is warning the Pharisees about. But Jesus just doesn't want to leave it there at the warning. He wants to go deeper. He wants to go to the sin that is beneath the sin, the sin that is behind their blasphemy. The blasphemy here is that they have attributed the work of the Holy Spirit to being the work of Satan. And Jesus is going beneath the surface. And he says, actually, guys, what you've just said here is only the fruit of a deeper problem. What you are saying, what is coming out of your mouth is the result of what is stored within you. He even says, you brood of vipers, poisonous snakes. Probably implying that these Pharisees, these religious leaders are devious and deceptive and everything that they spew from their mouth is poisonous. Poisonous because they themselves are poisonous within. And then there is a mic drop moment as Jesus drives his point home. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The reason why you speak evil is because there is an abundance of evil in your heart. There is poison in your hearts. This is what he's saying to the Pharisees. There is poison. You are spewing poison. You are attributing the work of my spirit to the devil. It's because there is poison. There's a treasure of poison that is within you. Because you know a tree by its fruit. What is the poison that Jesus is referring to here? It is the poison of unbelief. What is unbelief? Unbelief is the refusal or the rejection of what the Holy Spirit is revealing about Christ Jesus. That is unbelief. And he's warning the Pharisees that you guys, if you continue on this path of rejecting what the Holy Spirit is revealing to you, your hearts will become so calloused and so hardened toward God that even the conviction of the Holy Spirit of sin will fail to penetrate your hearts and therefore you will not see the need for a savior. And if you don't see the need for a savior, you will never reach the point of repentance. And if you re never reach the point of repentance and you die in that state, then there's no further opportunity for forgiveness. That is why it is the unforgivable sin. You die in that state of never having sought forgiveness. There are people all around us, and you might even be sitting here, and you are also constantly rejecting 
what the Holy Spirit is revealing about Jesus. You sit in church week in, week out. The Spirit is revealing truth about Jesus in the songs that we sing. The Spirit is revealing Jesus in the proclamation of Scripture as I am doing now. You hear of Jesus at weddings. You hear of Jesus at funerals. And the evidence of his existence stares at you every single day in creation. And yet people walk away. Nah, this Christianity thing is not for me. You too, like the Pharisees, will get to judgment day, having rejected Christ all your life, you are then condemned into the next age without God as a continuation of your lived desire to not be without God in the present age. Now, even though unbelief is a permanent condition of those who continue to reject the revelation of Christ by the Holy Spirit, unbelief also lurks in the corners and the shadows of the hearts of those who follow Christ Jesus. Because we're not perfect. We still struggle with sin. And so we have to constantly be fighting this scourge of unbelief in our own hearts. And so my question to you this morning is, where is unbelief manifesting in your life as a Christ follower? What words, what fruit of your lips is betraying the presence of unbelief, betraying the presence of this poison in your own heart? Let me ask you a question. Did you complain about anything this last week? Do you find yourself constantly complaining about perhaps relationships that you're in? Do you constantly complain about your marriage, about your spouse, about your children? Do you constantly complain about your job, your career, your boss and how he treats you or she treats you and your colleagues? Do you constantly complain about your health, about your finances? Do you constantly complain about the social ills of South Africa or of another country where you come from? Do you find yourself complaining about this church that you're part of? Let me tell you a story that's interesting in the Bible. And so it's the rescue operation of the Israelites from Egypt. And they've been in Egypt for many years, centuries in fact, and they've been slaves to the Egyptians. And it's hard going. They cry out to God. God hears their cries and he sends a leader by the name of Moses, a very capable leader, to lead them out of Egypt. And so he rescues them and they begin this long trek to the promised land of Canaan. It's an amazing journey because it is filled with miracles of God as he protects and as he provides for his people. 
but it's also a journey that is marred with sin because the Israelites are forever complaining and grumbling about one thing or the other. And they complain to Moses, and by complaining to Moses, they're ultimately complaining to God. And one incident is recorded in Exodus chapter 17. They, they come to this place called Rephidim, and they camp there. But the problem with uh, the place Rephidim is that there's no water to drink. So the Israelites are angry at Moses. They, they grumble and they complain, Moses, what is this? Where's the water? Did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us here? Do you want to kill us? Do you want to kill our children? Do you want to kill our livestock of thirst? Where's the water, Moses? And Moses goes to God and says, hey, God, your people are, are complaining. What do I do? And God sends Moses back and says, take your staff, your, your long stick, and go and strike a rock. And so Moses goes, and he does that, and there is water that gushes out of the rock, and the people have water to drink. But we're told that Moses named this place Massa and Meribah because the people said, is God among us? That is the reason why complaining, whining, grumbling is so offensive to God. Because it is this loudspeaker is God among us. Is God in control of this situation? Does God even know what's going on? Why is God doing nothing? When will God act? Why is he doing it this way? Complaining puts the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the character of God on trial. Unbelief, or rather, complaining, is the fruit of a heart that's been poisoned by unbelief. Now, if we swing back to Matthew chapter 12, I don't know if you saw this, but there's a very interesting irony in this story in that Jesus heals this blind man, and he can see. And yet we have these religious leaders, the most learned people in society, exhibiting spiritual blindness that I can only describe as epic. Everyone else can see that this man here is what he's doing. He must be from God. But they're completely blind to it. And that's because unbelief is a thief. Unbelief comes and robs you of the richness of a relationship that you can have with God. It is the problem of religion without relationship. Blindness. You can't see it. And so we find that unbelief robs us in these ways. Firstly, it blinds us from seeing who Christ really is. Like the Pharisees. Everyone is saying, hey, is this the son of David? Is this the Messiah? And they are saying, this man. This man. 
this man casts out demons. I, I emphasize this man because that is how easy it is to reduce Jesus, Jesus who is both God and man, to reduce him to the level of ordinary man. Ordinary man who is fallible, who is prone to failure and prone to disappoint us. And therefore, we can never fully trust him. Secondly, it blinds us from seeing the work that God is doing in our lives. The little miracles that are happening every single day. And sometimes we, we even despise the miracles and the blessings that are evident in other people's lives. You know, in, in the greatest show of spiritual blindness and unbelief in this chapter. So Jesus heals the blind man. He has this confrontation with the Pharisees and he points out their sin. And he warns them of the consequences of what they've said. This is how they respond to Jesus after that. In verse 38, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. This is what unbelief does. Unbelief demands that God prove himself again and again and again. Unbelief demands that God prove his love for you again and again, prove that he can provide for you again and again. Unbelief demands that God prove that he's all-knowing, that he's all-powerful. And the fact that Christ was sent as the only son of God, Christ was sent as a demonstration of God's love for you to die a gruesome death on a cross, that demonstration of love is never enough for the heart that is poisoned by unbelief. It's not enough. Prove yourself again, God. And then thirdly, we find that Unbelief robs us of just fully experiencing life in the kingdom of God. Why? Because we fail to appropriate the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Is there a cure? What's the remedy? The war against unbelief is the fight for faith in the character of God and in the promises of God that find fulfillment in Christ Jesus. If you're sitting here and you don't have a relationship with God, you've been rejecting God all your life, you've been living for yourself, you already stand condemned. And you will get to judgment day and be condemned to all of eternity in hell. And it's not so much the words that you will speak because we don't rely on how good we are. It's not so much the words that you speak that will condemn you. It is the spiritual condition that is exposed by the words that you speak in this present age. Ah. Christianity, it's a white man's religion. Ah, these Christians, all they ever want is money. And, 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 and. But there is hope. 
Did you see what Jesus said? Every sin will be forgiven. Every sin will be forgiven. There is forgiveness available for every sin, for every person of every race, in every nation, in every generation. That forgiveness is available for those who put their faith, who put their trust in Christ because he is the only one who provides the means for forgiveness through his death on the cross. The Bible says that there is no other name given unto man under heaven and, and on the earth other than the name of Jesus. No other name can save. But the Bible also says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And when you put your faith in Christ, he's not just going to come and scrub the little you know, stain of, of poison, of unbelief from your heart. No, he gives you a new heart. A heart that loves God, that worships God for now and for all of eternity. Trust in him today. What about those who follow Christ? How will you live your life to the glory of God until judgment day? I want my life to echo the words of the Apostle Paul. He writes this beautiful letter to the young man named Timothy. It's found in the Bible. And he says to him, now he's, he's nearing the end of his life. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There awaits for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give unto me on that day. What day? The day of judgment. And to all who have longed for his appearing. For the believer, this battle of keeping unbelief at bay is a fight for faith again in the promises of God, in the character of God. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A heart that is rich in faith toward God, a heart that is overflowing with faith toward God, shuns complaining and grumbling. Instead chooses to speak life where there is death. Chooses to speak hope where there is despair. Chooses to sing praise and thanks to God. You know, Romans chapter 10, I think it's verse 17, says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so you've got to be posturing yourself in, in places where the Word of God, Scripture, is constantly ministering faith to your heart. You come to church as you've done on a Sunday where the Word of God is proclaimed. You are in your growth groups with fellow believers where you are coming together, you're rallying together, you're feasting on the Word of God. And you are personally in your own time fighting for time to just feast on God's word. And as you do that, faith comes. As faith comes, you begin to see Jesus clearer. As you see Jesus clearer, you, you, you clutch. Your faith clutches onto his promises. 
suffocating unbelief. You know, there's a story, another story in the Bible. The Bible is full of stories. They're amazing. There's a story. There's another encounter of Jesus with another blind man. It's recorded in Mark chapter 8. And in this instance, Jesus heals this blind man in the most unusual way. So they bring this blind man to him, and Jesus spits on his eyes. And then he, he touches his eyes and says to him, Do you see anything? And the blind man says, I see people, but they look like trees. In other words, my, my vision is a little bit blurry. And then Jesus touches him again. And his vision is restored, and he can see clearly. Some of you this morning need another touch of God. You need the touch of God because your vision has been a bit blurry. We're going to respond now in song. But I want you to be responding and asking and saying, God, I need your touch because I want to see you more clearly. Let's do that.